This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast, the home for non-technical professionals when it comes to finding the ROI for AI. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the present and the future, artificial intelligence, and specifically complete autonomy in the world of heavy industry. So construction, mining, manufacturing, what is it going to take for machines doing these often dirty and dangerous jobs to operate entirely on their own? Where do we see that autonomy now, and where are we going to see it in the future? Our guest is David Pollington. He's the head of research at Block Ventures. Block Ventures is a VC firm based in London. This episode was recorded when I was in London. The unfortunate thing is that I had COVID, so you might hear me a little bit snuffly and congested during this episode. I hope you will forgive me. This was recorded about six months back, and I had intended to meet David in person, but we ended up recording this over a Zoom call. Because of my COVID condition, I was stuck in a hotel. The good news is David and Block Ventures invest heavily in the heavy industry space, I guess pun intended, now that I think about it. And we kick off this episode focusing on where autonomy is becoming a reality. So in what kinds of processes in heavy industry do we, machine, do we see machines operating on their own? And if we think five years into the future, what are the areas where machines are more likely to operate without human intervention? And where are the places where they likely are still going to need heavy human intervention, even half a decade into the future? David has some nuanced perspectives on these questions, and I thought that he brought some great answers to bear. So I hope that you get as much out of this episode as I did when I was recording it, despite my illness. Without further ado, this is David Pollington here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, David, thank you so much for being with us. Hi there, Dan. I know today we're diving in on the topic of autonomy, and this is an area where you focus a decent amount of your own research. You guys have investments in this domain. When you look at a high level at where autonomy in robotics really has demand, you know, robots that can operate without the instruction of human beings, where, where are the spaces where you're really seeing this take off and why? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very interesting. So, you know, what we're seeing is that there's a growing trend of automation and autonomy in areas such as manufacturing and warehousing, ports, and things like mining as well. And essentially, it's around trying to automate, you know, a lot of those different sort of factory sort of processes. Um, and you have a lot of devices that need to have like computer vision. They need to be able to navigate themselves around things like warehouses, ports, etc. And this is where we sort of see AI playing an increasingly important role in being able to support those devices. And, you know, typically those devices, they might have a lot of processing and memory capability and, and they, they run autonomously with the AI on board. But we're also seeing, you know, smaller devices that essentially the resource constrained in terms of processing and memory. And that's where we're seeing a lot of innovation around how do you shrink model, AI models down to be able to give very basic capabilities to those devices for them to operate in those kind of environments. Yeah. So shrinking shrinking things down, I mean, there's certainly a hardware component to that. There's a software component to that. There's there's sensors that sometimes we need to shrink a little bit, although cell phones have done a great job of doing that, at least on the vision side, the microphone side, and other kinds of sensors. What are all the different kinds of, I guess, the major branches of technology that you're seeing kind of swing in to meet that need, you know, because that that miniaturization and dealing in those environments is obviously a bit of a sea change from something that doesn't have those same constraints. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I guess there are different sort of techniques in, in the AI sort of 
frame. So often it can be things like dimensionality reduction, so it sort of features sort of selection to reduce and prune the models down so they can fit in, in smaller devices. So you can sort of start from that sort of classical approach and try and actually shrink things down. But we're also seeing coming from a, a different angle the, the concept of neuromorphic computing. So there are a lot of folk looking at things like insect brains, you know, bees, uh, dragonflies, etc. And they're trying to mimic those structures and they're developing algorithms and solutions that then allow these kind of devices to do things like sort of navigation, dead reckoning, you know, slam, and be able to, you know, do obstacle avoidance within these kind of environments. So, you know, that's, that's a very interesting sort of branch. You could say that's a little bit more academic. But yeah, there, there are lots of different approaches that folk are taking. And just to sort of laypersonify some stuff here. So Dead Reckoning Slam, could you just talk through, I guess, a little bit of what, what you're referring to there and maybe even where they would apply in the environments that we're addressing, mining, for example, or what have you? Yeah, so so where, where you've got, they could be sort of forklift trucks or sort of lorries that are running autonomously, or they could be other devices within some kind of, uh, you know, port environment. They, they need to be able to navigate the, the, the way around that particular environment. So rather than using guided tracks, which is kind of the old school way of doing things, these devices instead, they might have things like GPS, but obviously GPS won't work in all environments. So they need a, a dead reckoning system and or they need to use computer vision to be able to recognize where they are for essentially landmarks or, or mapping out the environment in which they're traversing. So we see a lot of innovation in those kind of areas to really help these devices, these machines to be able to operate autonomously got it is it safe to say you know well you mentioned something like mining i guess i think about a circumstance in mining where maybe it is really tough to pipe something up to the cloud depending on how far underneath the ground we actually are and it would just be wholly unrealistic to do anything other than than ai at the edge but it sounds like you mentioned ports even and, and domains of along these lines in that case if we're you know at an open seaport somewhere i would presume we could pipe something up to a satellite without astronomic challenge. However, maybe if we're interacting with other machines in a dynamic environment where maybe even, you know, humans are manning some of these machines, we might need to move with such a speed to which we don't want to take the risk of having to pipe things up and pipe things down. It sounds like it's not always necessarily the physical limitation of being able to do that transference to the central cloud, but it, it might also just be a speed requirement or, or what are the other factors that make that kind of on edge computing relevant, something that we'd want to do instead of maybe the, the old school uh, pipe it up to the cloud way. Yeah, I mean, obviously, in a lot of these environments, latency and sort of resiliency are very important. You know, if you're making split second decisions, if you've got essentially cobots, the robots that are working alongside human operatives, and they need to be able to react very quickly and be able to ensure that they, they don't cause any, any issues or cause any harm. So this is where, you know, we see a lot of this intelligence needing to be pushed out to the edge, you know, into the devices themselves to make them autonomous and be able to react to the circumstances in which they're in. So I think it's a combination of the AI sort of twinned with new sort of wireless technologies and things like sort of 5G now is moving into these kind of environments. And it gives you that kind of ultra-reliable uh, connectivity and the ability for these devices to, to, to run autonomously. And the, the other aspect is often, you know, around sort of privacy or sensitivity of the data. So often, you know, companies prefer mm. to actually have these things, if you like, constrained, limited, you know, within, you know, the, the environment in which they're operating rather than having to sort of push all this stuff up into the cloud for processing. 
Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense as well. And I guess this takes us into use cases, you know, particular areas where you're seeing this autonomy and robotics, these trends kind of come to life. What are a few that y- you think would be good representative examples of, I guess, where where these specific demands, if we could talk about maybe a particular workflow, oh, we don't have to name any companies or anything, but a particular workflow and sort of where autonomous robotics kind of fits in. I, I'd love to make this a little bit more visual in the minds of the listeners. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure everyone's, you know, probably got, you know, some awareness of things like Amazon and the way that they're using robotics within their warehousing. A lot of the, the supermarket chains, um, they often use, you know, robotics, you know, within these sort of distribution and fulfillment chains as well. We're seeing a lot of the, the car manufacturers wanting to move away from kind of static production lines and they want to have, you know, wireless uh, machines, autonomous machines that allows them then to reconfigure their, their factory floors to more easily adapt to and sort of build new models of cars. Hmm. So, you know, that's, that's where we're sort of seeing this need for everything. Everything is basically, I guess, being sort of moved from a, a fixed sort of installation perspective to something which is much more agile and wireless and autonomous. And that's that's why we're seeing you know, a lot of these technologies now needing to be perfected to facilitate that kind of vision. Okay, cool. So those are some decent examples there. And I guess the Amazon one, I think, will ring true for a lot of the folks that are tuned in here. The idea of being able to be more nimble with our manufacturing process as a, I mean, you know, we hear about, you know, Nike, you know, having these very popular apps where people can, you know, do all kinds of modifications to the clothing or the shoes that they're buying. And of course, that has it makes it very, very hard to to manufacture these things at scale unless we have a really nimble manufacturing process. I imagine in, in the automotive world, there's similar kinds of customization demands or kinds of changes that would make us want to be able to to be more mobile there as well. Are there any examples in heavy industry where that privacy concern that you brought up might really matter? Because I, I actually can see that being a reason why people would want to keep processing at the edge within kind of an autonomous robot of some kind. But if I think about making a car or I think about picking up boxes in an Amazon warehouse, those probably aren't the best examples where I'm too worried about the privacy of, you know, the camera looking at the shelves or, or something along those lines. Are there heavy industry oriented examples where where that privacy stuff kicks in? Yeah, I think it often comes down to sensitivity around sort of production line in terms of the, the you know the type of product or, or you know sort of IP sort of infringement or sort of industrial espionage those kinds of things it's ah, where okay. where a company okay. has something where they're <laughs> being super secretive about a particular formula they're using to de- develop a particular product and they they don't just want all of that stuff being squirted into the cloud yeah okay got it got it so yeah it could be the way that we're manufacturing our car part maybe it even could be the setup of our various robots or or you know, equipment at some port to fulfill some kind of a workflow. If we think that if, while there isn't any personal data getting piped up in terms of the camera view from one of those robots, I guess what you're getting at is if somebody else from a corporate espionage standpoint could drink all that in, could they then reverse engineer sort of how our setup works, how our workflow works? Something along these lines is what you're talking about. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, you know, there is a, a, a general trend of, of people starting to push the cloud out out to the edge, and a lot of that again is is down to performance and, and latency requirements, depending on the application. But I think to a certain extent, people also want the autonomy, so they they don't want to have on-prem, you know, data centers. They want to move away from having to own their own infrastructure, but they want to be able to leverage cloud resources that are a little bit closer to to where the actual source of the data is. 
So, yeah, I mean, I think it'd be very interesting to see how those those two sort of aspects really come together. Sort of the, the wireless connectivity, the pushing of cloud to the edge, the introduction of AI, you know, distributed AI into sort of edge devices and how those edge devices then interact. So there's something called swarm learning where they all work together to develop models, you know, for particular problems. So, yeah, that, that general trend towards the edge, I think, is what we're seeing. It'd be interesting to, to see how that pans out. Yeah, yeah. To see what what companies basically decide to not pipe anything of let's say this kind, this kind, or this kind up to the cloud, but maybe other data they they will. Like it sounds like there's maybe some tactical choices for companies to make if we are to start building out some very robust automated workflows, whether it be manufacturing, mining, etc. Even for those things that physically could be piped up, which of those are so risky in terms of maybe our processes and, and our IPs and workflow and whatever? Which of those do we want to not do that simply for kind of protective purposes, never mind for technical purposes? Interesting to note that I guess there's both of those considerations to make. Last question here in terms of your perspective is around where this is headed. You know, when you look at the coming five years, we could we could just talk about mining if you want. We could just talk about shipping ports if you want. We could just talk about manufacturing if we want. It doesn't matter. You can pick whatever industry you care about. But if you look a, a half decade ahead, what are the kind of portions of what we're beginning to see now that you really think are somewhat inevitable. They really feel like they're they're pretty strong influencers in terms of the the norms of how these industries will operate in the future. What in particular jumps out to you and why? I, I think rather than picking on any particular sector, it is that kind of notion, as I said before, of things starting to, to move to the edge, that these devices are becoming autonomous. These devices are interacting with one another to learn about their environment and how to process the tasks that they've been given. So it, it's that kind of technological approach. And that, you know, it's applicable in so many different areas. I mean, you know, looking further forward, people talk about, you know, vertical farming and that, that again, you know, we, where you've got drones that need to work together, but also work autonomously in terms of navigation, in terms of being able to navigate their way, their way around obstacles, et cetera. You know, this is where we're seeing a lot of these technologies will, will come to the fore. But, you know, even things as mundane as, as, you know, inspecting pipelines, inspecting sort of phone masks, that kind of thing, where you have, you know, drones that are able to do that, but you want these drones to be able to act somewhat autonomously and be able to go off and do those kind of quite repetitive tasks. But there's a lot of intelligence that needs to go into those drones to make sure that they actually, you know, complete that task and that they navigate their way around different circumstances. So, yeah, all of these technologies are being sort of matured in different sectors, but in aggregate, yeah. they're going to be applied, you know, I think in a lot of... I guess the one final thing that dawns on me here, if, if I were a betting man, and I'm not literally in the VC sense, I, I don't put my, my, my dollars into AI companies, there might also be a bit of a interest clash there as we're a market research firm too. So I'm not in this game in the same way that you are, but if I were, I would presume that the technologies where this kind of autonomy would be most widespread, you mentioned something like a drone examining, let's say, a pipeline. This actually seems quite viable for almost any oil and gas company, simply because almost everybody can use the same drone. Flying and observing things is not super bespoke. And at some point, this stuff will become not as simple as buying MailChimp for your company or something, but it, but it, it won't be rocket science, I would presume. I would presume, very much so, that going into a copper mine and you know drilling for something and then shipping it out over the course of you know some series of robotic handoffs would be sort of 
expected not to be the norm even half a decade from now for the majority of mining companies because of how hardcore, super bespoke, non-industry agnostic it is. In other words, it's it's, it's very, very narrow. While, while the, the drone examines stuff, see if it looks good, see if it looks bad, report to human, it seems really accessible. Would you agree with that? Would you disagree with that in terms of the kinds of applications that maybe will we could expect to see more of in five years versus those of which which might be a little longer until they're normal? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot of folk looking at, at drones, you know, and we, you know, we touched on things like pipelines and sort of inspection and maintenance. You know, security is another angle. I've seen, you know, drone companies looking at using drones to think to monitor campus type environments um, for security threats. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, people yep. are, you know, looking to use drones for things like search and rescue or, you know, for trying to, to spot people that are falling into rivers, et cetera, and, 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 you know, help them. So, you know, I, I think the whole drone industry is, is gradually sort of working its way towards, you know, how you can use these things for sort of real, you know, commercial, um, applications. And, you know, these technology, a lot of these technologies essentially are similar to, to what you need for something like a forklift truck that's sort of moving around and trying to avoid knocking into humans and unloading, you know, pallets. Or containers, you know, from a ship. I think, you know, to your point, you know, there's going to be vertical applications where you're going to need very specialist yes. you know, machinery and, you know, with very specialist, you know, requirements. And it comes back, you know, to, to this notion of, of what the AI needs to support. But yeah, I, I think, you know, from, from an investment perspective, you know, what we're really looking for are those kind of new innovations that are coming through that have that broad applicability, where then there is that, that upside of being able to you know, transfer the technology into lots of different sectors and maximize the opportunity you know, for commercial, you know, commercial sales. Big time. Yeah, I would concur. I think security is another really great application area for something like drones. And I would also suspect that those applications that might be used for security in a hundred different environments, you know, a corporate campus, a university campus, you know, a city street might might have maybe a little bit more hop, skip, and jump ability to to plop themselves into other industries and find themselves useful, as opposed to those really, really, really bespoke workflows, which might take a little longer to become the norm. But either way, a nice up-close look at sort of some trend areas that you guys are seeing as important, and hopefully a good way to generate some fresh ideas for those of our listeners who are tuned in who might be involved in heavy industry. So David, I appreciate you being with us. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you very much, Dan. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to David for being able to join us. And a big thank you to you for listening all the way through to the end of this episode, despite the COVID stuffiness that you probably had to hear throughout that one. The next time I'm out in London, I will record many, many more episodes, hopefully with a much less stuffy nose. But I am glad we got to talk some heavy industry and get in our conversation with David. If you're interested in AI use cases in general, I haven't mentioned it in a bit here, but you might want to check out Emerge Plus. Emerge Plus is our members-only platform, which provides access to our full AI use case library with unique search tools to be able to find certain business publications, which allows you to search for specific business applications. Maybe you're looking for call centers, or you're looking for fraud solutions. Be able to search across thousands of different articles and interviews on Emerge through Emerge Plus. And you'll also get access to our full library of AI white papers and frameworks. We recently added nearly a dozen new 
white papers to the Emerge Plus library, ranging from pharmaceuticals to banking to heavy industry and beyond. So if you want to be able to apply what you learn here on the podcast, consider becoming an Emerge Plus member. It helps us support the show and also will provide you with tools to be able to help your clients or advance your career by finding AI ROI. You can go to emerj.com slash p1. That's emerj.com slash p1 to learn more. That's all for this episode. I look forward to catching you in the next one. We're in the AI and Business Podcast.